Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Haig for short, a housing group for older people run by old people. Present Raise the Roof. We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. You know, I was just thinking we're going to have to change that intro because it says we're on the second and fourth Wednesday, but now we're on the second and fourth Thursday as well. So if you're listening on the on the Thursday morning, uh, I'm sorry, it's not that we're neglecting you. We're just uh, tardy about updating our, our show intro. But you are listening to Raise the Roof. This is the Housing for the Aged Action Group show here on 3CR, 8.55am. Uh, my name's Shane. I'm here with Fiona. How are you doing? Hey, Shane. Um, you should hit play. Let's go to the interview. Oh my God, straight into it. Okay, let's do it. Joined today by the producers of a new film called Things Will Be Different. We have joining us Lucy McMahon, who's the producer and director. And we also have Celeste Clario Davis, who is the cinematographer and producer of the film. How are you guys both going? Hi, Fiona. Yeah, yeah good. Thanks thank so much for having us. That's great. Now, would you be able to tell us a little bit about the film, um, why, what inspired you to make it, um, and perhaps a little bit about what it's, what it's been like making it through the last couple of years? Do you want to jump in, Celeste? Yeah. Um, so Things Will Be Different is about two residents at the Walker Street Estate who had to um, moved because of the public housing renewal program and at the time Lucy and I it was about four years ago met at the say public housing collective and thought that um, it was an important time to probably start documenting what was going on um, and yeah I knew Will from a long time ago and had met his neighbor and we just kind of followed them during their journey of being displaced, I guess. And so when you mentioned Will and his neighbour, would you be able to tell us a little bit about who they are and, and what their circumstances were at the at the time? Yeah, um, I can jump in. So Will is um, a 50-year-old um, man, father, who uh, had lived at the Walker Street estate for um, about five years when um, he was told that he... Uh, yeah, was going to have to relocate. Um, Will is a person who, uh, you know, used to be quite a successful business owner. He used to own multiple houses in North Fitzroy and then due to um, sort of an inaccurate mental health diagnosis, he, um, uh, yeah, became quite mentally unwell and um, found himself in a situation where he was homeless and um, had to move into public housing. Um, And since I guess since moving into public housing, he's been pretty active in terms of like um, campaigning around uh, initially trying to stop the public housing renewal program, um, trying to kind of convince them that there were other ways that you could approach, um, uh, you know, renewal and redevelopment that didn't involve kind of moving all the families from Walker Street out um, of the area. Um, 
yeah, which I guess a lot of those campaigns were largely unsuccessful in the point at which we met Will, um, or that I met Will, sorry, Celeste had known him for a long time. Um, everyone was sort of resigned that they were going to have to be moving out. And, um, and yeah, then for him, the focus really became about um, putting energy into this film and hoping that the film could kind of shed some light on um, on the kind of human impacts that these government policies have on people living in public housing. I won't say too much about the other participant, just um, I guess, yeah, she sort of, for privacy reasons, has asked us to keep her information out of um, promotional stuff. But, yeah, so it's about Will and his neighbour who lives um, just across the way from him. So, baby... Sorry to interrupt. What? I was yeah, I was just going to yeah, I was yeah. I was just going to ask you a little bit about the, the estate itself. How many people were there? Um, how did they find out it was going to be demolished? And what did how how what was the feeling like on the estate in those early days when you first connected with them? Yeah, um, Celeste might be able to speak a bit more about the feeling in the early days, but it was eighty households, and I think this is a really important um, fact that. Is one of the first things that our film sort of states, um, which is that it was 80 households. Um, most of the households were two, three, four bedroom properties, um, and so I don't, I can't do the maths on the spot, but it, you know, housed that many people. Um, but I think what's really kind of key about one of the major issues that we critique about the public housing renewal program is that um, the number of households or dwellings will go up with the um, renewal process. So I think it'll go from 80 to 112 households, but most of those households will be one and two bedroom properties. So we actually, um, what we see is a decrease in uh, community um, and affordable housing uh, in the midst of a, um, a housing crisis. So yeah, I think that's a really kind of um, yeah key key point. But Celeste, are you able to speak more to what the mood was like in, in those early days when people first found out that they were going to have to relocate? Yeah, totally. It was like a really confusing time for everyone. There was like a lot of uncertainty and um, no one was, it wasn't that clear like what was going on or what was going to happen. And there was kind of like rumors or murmurs that like the, you know, public housing estate would be redeveloped and maybe people would move. But um, yeah, there was a lot of like uncertainty and, um, you know, Walker Street was such like a, like vibrant community that had been there for so many years and everyone um I feel like there was kind of like a bit of a dark cloud that kind of came over the whole space when there was like talk that it was going to be yeah knocked down and it's really well located too we should say to people that aren't familiar with the area it's right in Northcote on the Merry Creek and next to the tram and really well connected to services and green spaces and community. It's, it's sort of the perfect place to be having low-cost public housing. Mm. Um, do, do we know what's happened? So since then, they have knocked the estate over. It's all a big hole in the ground as far as I know. Mm. Um, what's, what's happened to the tenants? Have, were, you able to, um, were people able to keep connected to their neighbours or have they yeah. lost those connections? I think um, it's sort of a bit varied like um i know will always talks about how a lot of you know you don't really get much choice in where you live in public housing and a lot of people who were living at the west Gutter estate actually had family out in like thomastown and deer park and things like that so a lot of the um tenants who were easiest to relocate were those ones who were happy to kind of move out to have the opportunity or the uh yeah option to move out to the further suburbs um the 
other subject who we document in the film, Will's Neighbour, um, her story ends up being a very interesting example of, yeah, again, another major issue with the renewal process is that they try to move everyone out to um, public housing properties. Um, they say that people will have choice over where they go and that no one will be disconnected from their communities in the process. But um, Will's neighbour is like a single mother with four children and there's very little um, public housing in the inner north that is that size. So she had a really hard time um, finding a property and ended up, uh, she did end up getting moved like quite a way away from Walker Street and, you know, has been disconnected from all of her social services. Has, you know, the kids now have to travel an hour to get to school. She didn't have a car at the time, so transport was a huge issue. So it sort of, <clears throat> a lot of people did end up getting moved further out. For some people, it wasn't an issue at all. And yeah, for other people, it did pose like quite a significant um, <clears throat> sort of stress on their lives. And you mentioned um, Will's 50 years old. How many How mm. many residents do, do you think were in the older age bracket? I guess our concern is for older tenants as part of this show and part of what mm. we do at HAG. Um, and I know that older people like to remain connected to their services and communities and transport mm. and things. Did you have a sense yeah. of the, if there was a disproportionate impact or if there was anything in particular you noticed about older tenants on the estate? Well, yeah, I don't know what the makeup would have been uh, specifically, there definitely was a mix of younger, like sort of migrant families and then older working class Australian um, families, um, Anglo families who, had, who would have been living yeah. there for quite some time. Um, did you want to jump in, Celeste? Yeah, I guess like the, there were people who had lived there for like 30 years and um, yeah. they were generally kind of older people and I think that's been like really difficult for them to have to relocate and kind of, yeah, create kind of a new life um, mm. at, at at such an age. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I was going to say that um, I don't know the sort of statistics, but one sort of anecdotal piece of information I can share is that when, um, when it came down to crunch time, um, Will and his neighbour were sort of two out of uh, five of the last people left on the estate and the other two... Uh, two of the other women uh, were like older women in their sort of, say, 70s and 80s who were struggling to find um, something that was suitable for them that was, you know, close to their medical services, close to their family, um, that sort of had adequate um, access requirements and things like that. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, it is it is an anecdotal, but I guess the fact that they sort of were left as some of the harder people to place, mm. um, perhaps, yeah, kind of gives some indication. Yeah. And you mentioned in the beginning that you came across um, or you sort of inspired to make the documentary during the Save Public Housing um, Collective focus on that estate. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about what the community was doing to try and save save the housing or um, the actions around that from the tenants? Do you want to speak to that, Celeste? I feel like you were there a little bit more for like the rallies and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there were a few rallies um, and there were lots of tenants who actually came to those rallies. Um, I feel like the Say Public Housing Collective kind of formed during that time um, due to all of, like the pressure of what was going on at the time. And there were lots of residents who were coming to the Say Public Housing Collective. But as like time went on, you know, it started to kind of to fizzle out and... Um, it was kind of known that 
the public housing renewal program was going to happen. Um, but yeah, do you want to add to that, Lucy? I, yeah, I guess. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, at the time that I joined, everyone was very much like um, Walker Street is done, and there's not a lot that we can do in terms of campaigning around that particular site. But um, there was a lot of focus on Ascot Vale, which um, some tenants at, at the Ascot Vale estate had begun getting letters about the fact that the property, uh, the site was going to be renewed, and that people would have to move on. Um, and I guess, yeah, since then. Um, there's been some really great kind of wins um, and achievements with that site. There's a group of architects who run an um, initiative called Retain, Re-impair, Re- Retain, Repair and Reinvest. Um, and they sort of did a whole um, inquiry and put forward a proposal saying that it's actually much cheaper and more cost effective if we um, sort of repair and, and renovate um, these buildings rather than, um, you know, knocking down and kind of rebuilding from scratch. So, yeah, I guess that's sort of a bit of a, a successful campaign that's gone on. But um, outside of that, yeah, we, we tried, we had a really huge rally organised actually just before COVID broke out and there was, you know, I think a thousand people or something um, scheduled to attend on, on Facebook. But um, then the pandemic hit and sort of, yeah, um, uh, unfortunately stopped that that last moment of we kind of wanted everyone to come together and um you know it was going to be the last moment of before the walker street estate was knocked down but uh, we never got to have that moment unfortunately mm. and it is interesting that you say um that the research shows that it's better to repair and renew um yeah. or, rather than demolish and that mm. term public housing renewal impl- in mm. <laughs> it's a bit of a furphy really isn't it it's a bit mm. um it's it's really just about knocking it over and and i believe um, my understanding is that what's replaced isn't necessarily public housing either. It's yeah. um, community housing or a mixture of community housing and privately owned. Yeah. Uh, is that the fate of the Walker Street estate? Yeah. So um, it's interesting, I think, kind of thinking back to your question about what the sentiment was on the estate during the early days. I wasn't really there. I, I kind of jumped on this project once most of the people had been moved out of Walker Street. But I know Will always speaks about how Initially, this renewal was put forward to the residents as something that was going to be really good for them. Like, they, they put forward this idea of social mix, that, like, um, mm. you know, the the properties will be tenure-blind, no one will be able to tell what's public housing and what's private housing, and that, you know, public housing tenants get this, like, opportunity to, um, you know, mix, to mix with, with normal housing, people. <laughs> with normal people, which is apparently going to, you know, make things so much better in their lives. Um, and, you know, Will always talks about how, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people who live in public housing are suffering with, you know, some particular issues. But he talks about how there was this kind of beautiful harmony in the fact that everyone would support each other, you know, when they were having a difficult time. And he kind of doubts whether, um, you know, private tenants w- would have that same mentality. But anyway, that's what was initially proposed was that, you know, this is going to be great for tenants because you get brand new houses um, and there's going to be this great opportunity for social mix. But the design of the development now has turned out that um, the private $3 million luxury apartments will be on the riverfront where um, Will's property used to be, and then all of the um, community housing will be in a sort of tower block on the corner of High and Westgarth Street. Um, So there's no sort of intermixing at all, and um, yeah, and the the houses are obviously going to be quite different. Like if the the houses along the riverfront are only two or three storeys, but then everyone in um, community housing gets put into a tower in the corner. And, yeah, as you um, mentioned, Fiona, it is 
it does become community rather than public housing, and that um, distinction is really important because um, it's essentially a moment in history where the government is handing over responsibility of some of the most vulnerable people in our society to these, you know, um, private entities, these thing, these these community housing startups that we sort of have no idea how successfully or unsuccessfully they're going to be able to manage um, the housing needs of, of, of people. And um, I think that's really sort of, yeah, significant that, um, that yeah, that responsibility is just mm-hmm. being handed over at this point and we don't really know what the repercussions are going to be. Yeah, and also the redevelopment um, actually took a lot longer than they proposed, which has been like a really, it's, it's kind of interesting because they've said that all of the residents can come back but um, it's taken, like, five years, and I think they said it would take three. And, you know, they haven't even started building the new apartments. And so um, a lot of residents who have moved are comfortable in these, like, new spaces um, probably miss, like, their communities, but also just the, uh, like, the amount of emotional stress that comes with moving. It would I, – I don't think that many residents will – kind of come back after the amount of time it's taken for them to redevelop the estate. And it will be quite different too. They'll be in a one or two bedroom tower block looking at their mm. former river frontage yeah, luxury totally. apartments. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's just outrageous, honestly. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your plans and your hopes for the film. Like, how long, how long is the film? Is it finished? Is it ready to be screened? Would you be able to tell us a little bit about, about it's great that you managed to document this, so we want to be able to hear about the film itself as well as the issue. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess the hopes of, for the film at this stage are really just kind of awareness raising, um, I guess, yeah, getting people, particularly hopefully being able to get it in front of um, the eyes of, like, uh, key policy makers to sort of get them to think about, you know, we think about these renewal projects uh, on a cost basis and mostly that we think about that in relation to kind of economic costs, but actually there is a human cost involved in these um, renewal processes as well and the film really kind of goes into looking at the psychological and social impacts displacement has on um, particularly vulnerable people living in public housing. Um, so I guess, yeah, the aspirations at this stage are quite modest, but we um, yeah, I just want to have the film seen by people who might, it might be able to kind of impact policy, particularly at the moment, um, the exact same thing that is that happened at Walker Street is being rolled out at the Brack Beacon Estate, which is in Port Melbourne. Um, so trying to kind of... And the guys who run Retain, Repair, Reinvest are in the process of doing a similar thing at that estate to what they did at Ascot Vale to try to convince them to halt the demolition and to actually um, repair and reinvest that in that site so hopefully getting the film in front of the eyes of people who have the capacity to make decisions around the renewals um future estates uh would be ideal um mm-hmm. there are a couple of screenings coming up we have one at uh Thornbury picture house on sunday which is sold out oh, and then there's another screening <laughs> what's that that's my neighborhood i wish i'd known uh, <laughs> yeah it's, it's sold out really quickly through fuse festival um but we <laughs> sorry excuse me we also will have a screening in October at Collingwood Yards. We're still confirming the date and time of that. But if you keep an eye on our website, which is thingswillbedifferent.com, or our Instagram, um, things will be different. Uh, you can kind of keep up to date with any screenings um, that are coming up. Um, yeah, I guess we're sort of at this moment where 
um, yeah, we are still, uh, the, the film is sort of finished to an extent. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, we are still kind of trying to, to raise money, um, to, uh, have a sort of slightly higher quality, um, uh, post-production done to the film, which would maybe allow it to get onto broadcast or, um, into major festivals. So if people are interested, you can go to, um, the Documentary Australia Foundation Things Will Be Different website and you can make a tax-deductible donation um, to the film, which will go towards the colour grade and the sound mix of the film. Um, but, yeah, apart from that, I think that that's all that's coming up. Have I missed anything, Celeste? No, those were all of the screenings, yeah. Yeah, cool. And so if listeners are interested in making sure that this film gets into festivals and potentially a bit further afield um they can we'll put the show notes in the show notes some information on how to donate are you also interested in having community screenings at all if if people were interested in trying to put them on too yeah i'd I'd say so if people want to email us or contact us via Instagram, we're definitely open to the film being seen as widely as possible. So, um, yeah, do get in touch if you um, yeah, think that there's a situation where it could be useful to show the film. Um, we're more than happy to talk about that. That's great, because I think it is really important at this time, a couple of months out from a state election, where mm. the state government's stated policy is to be replacing public housing with community and private-owned. Mm. There's, what, 12 mm. or 13 public housing estates either earmarked or already destroyed yeah. around Melbourne, um, Barack mm-hmm. Beacon being the most recent and, and right on the beach, so as if they can let poor people live on the beach. So, um, yeah, it's pretty sad to be seeing these really beautiful, mm-hmm. old, sturdy brick buildings filled with people mm-hmm. that have a great sense of community, just a hole in the ground. Yeah. Um, so is there any other things that you, any final thoughts you'd like to let our listeners know before we finish up? Is there anything you want to say, Celeste? No, I think we've kind of covered it all. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll just respond to what I guess Fiona just said, which I don't, I don't know if we've sort of emphasised enough, but I think something that's really interesting, which came out of um, the walking tour, we did a screening last Saturday mm. that was accompanied by a walking tour with Will, and he, um, yeah, spoke a lot about how, um, you know, councils and governments try so hard and put so much money into trying to cultivate communities and that a lot of these walk-up sites actually do have these unique kind of layouts that allow for really amazing, thriving, healthy, functioning communities to exist. And there's a lot of stigma around public housing where people talk about public housing being ghettos of disadvantage where, you know, everyone with issues just gets clumped together and then it just becomes this really dysfunctional space, which is kind of the premise of this idea of social mixing. Um, But actually, you know, from our experience at Walker Street and from what people at Brack Beacon have been saying, and I think what you just sort of um, mentioned then, Fiona, that made me think of it, is that a lot of the time, yeah, these estates are actually really um, important, amazing communities that once you knock them down and move everyone out, there's very little chance that, you know, they, they can kind of reform in the ways that they um, they were functioning like at Walker Street, for example, there was a homework club. People who lived at the estate were employed to work at the homework club and help people after school with with their schoolwork. And there was like a, a couple of the mothers from the estate had organised to go and pick up bread from Baker's Delight at the end of the day and that bread would get given out to the tenants for free. And, you know, these things aren't going to come back to the Walker Street estate. There won't be a community centre. There won't be a sort of centralised um, space uh, like there was at the 
did do, like with the old layout of the previous estate. And I think that, um, yeah, it's kind of just an important thing for um, people who might not already be aware of that, that public housing actually has, yeah, it creates these really amazing um, kind of ecosystems and communities that we should be trying to foster and hold on to rather than, um, yeah, knocking down and wiping out. Yeah, supporting neighbours, which you, mm. people always want that to be happening, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily happen with segregation between luxury apartments and everybody else. Um, exactly. Thanks so much for coming on today. It's been really great to hear about the Walker Street story and about the plans for the documentary. As I said, we'll put some information in the show notes. Um, and yeah, congratulations on the film and all the best for it in the coming months. Thanks, Lucy, and Thank thanks, you so Celeste. Much. Thanks. Thank Lovely you. to speak to you. Have a nice day. See you later. See ya. Bye. CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR. Radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. Uh, welcome back. You're still listening to 3CR 8.5am. This is Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show with Shane and Fiona. Uh, we're almost out of time for this week. So i uh, going to give out some contact information if you've got a pen and paper or your, your phone, your notes app, whatever you're going to use. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us because you're an older person with a housing issue and you need some advice or some some help, uh, you can give us a call on 1300 765 178. That's 1300 765 178. He's doing this from memory, by the way, guys. It's incredible to watch. Yeah, I can remember two phone numbers. It's uncanny. <laughs> Fiona's our executive officer and she can't remember the goddamn phone number. That's all right. It's true. The, uh, the other phone number, uh, if you want to get in touch with us about things like campaigning to protect public housing, uh, other sorts of policy stuff, number is 9654-7389. That's, sorry, you're going to say something? No, go. 9654-7389. You, you, you look like you want to say do. something. I do. I just want to say also... Check out our website in the next couple of days. It's oldertenants.org.au because we will be releasing our Victorian state election strategy and it has some things to say about public housing. Are we calling for the nationalisation of all retirement villages to become public housing? Every year this happens. No, we're not going to be doing that. (laughs) But there is also also something in there for retirement housing residents, of course. 
Uh, we're going to leave you with a song. Fiona has chosen the song this week. I disclaim all responsibility, <laughs> both for the tastelessness and the obviousness of the song that you're about to hear. Do you want to tell them what song we're going to hear? Yep. The song is called God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk to you in a fortnight. Bye-bye. <laughs>